vast swaths of the island paradise of Hawaii lay in burnt ruins. Floods have ravaged lands that haven't seen deluges like this in generations. Intense tropical storms are hitting terrain that rarely gets visited by such tempests. And Hurricane Adelia just tore through the American South with a power that's becoming increasingly common on the American seaboard. The summer of 2023, dear Double Take listener, was not just the hottest summer in recorded human history. It was also the summer that major property insurers in the United States either pulled out of states hard hit by climate catastrophes or have stopped covering damage caused by such milestones altogether. Developments in the property insurance market are taking place rapidly and could make a fundamental change, not just in that industry, but in the way humans develop real estate, finance risk, and deal with an ever-changing planet. So how will regulators deal with such tumult? How will homeowners react? That, friends, is the subject of today's Double Take, the Newton Investment Management podcast that brings on leading thinkers and big brains to plumb the depths of complex issues that are important to the savvy investor. I'm Jack Encarnacio, investigative research analyst here at Newton. And I'm Rafe Lewis, head of Newton's specialist research teams. Joining Jack and I today to discuss all things climate and insurance is none other than Robert Gordon, who's the Senior Vice President for Policy Research and International at the American Property Casualty Insurance Association, or the APCIA, which represents most U.S. underwriters, and has recently sounded the alarm for greater wildfire risk, awareness, and mitigation, and has provided strategic counsel to U.S. government policymakers on insurance and reinsurance reform legislation. But before we get to talking with Robert, let us take a moment to make a quick ask of you, the listener. If you like what you hear on Double Take, please hit the subscribe button, maybe leave a review, tell a friend. There is no better marketing than word of mouth, after all. And let's get to those mouths, shall we? Robert Gordon, welcome to Double Take. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you? I'm doing really well and really grateful you can join us to talk about this increasingly, well, pardon the pun, hot topic. So let's start with a level set, okay? Uh, level set for folks, if you could, Robert. What, what insurance risks can we definitively say have been impacted by climate change? What I mean is, in your industry, is there true consensus on climate change being the cause of any of the evolving risks, be they wildfires, air pollution, extreme heat? Well, there's been an enormous industry analysis of climate change and the potential impact. And there's a, a growing consensus that there is a greater impact from climate change on extreme temperatures and the amount of rain and uh, potentially the droughts that can be caused in the wildfires. So we're seeing much more severe wildfires. There seems to be less of an impact on some of the uh, hurricane activity. There's some view that climate change is increasing the severity of hurricanes, but not necessarily the frequency. Uh, but it is a little difficult to tease out how much is the weather and how much is just demographic shifts as more people are moving to coastal areas or more people are moving to the wildland urban interface and accumulating uh, greater asset costs. Uh, but it does seem to be that uh, definitely larger and larger losses uh, from the weather over time, in particular changes to the temperatures and the rainfall, uh, and that's what influences the droughts and the wildfires. And we may as well uh, tack on a question, uh, Robert, about convective storms like, you know, uh, thunderstorms, you know, uh, you know, tornadoes, but also hurricanes. I mean, it feels like there's been a rise in hurricane losses. Um, and what I guess we're wondering is, is this due to 
you know, a, a greater frequency and intensity? Or is it just that you have greater and greater populations, uh, you know, uh, building on the coasts and building in places that might be risky? It's really more of the latter. So uh, probably some of the best analysis has been done by uh, one of the largest reinsurers, Swiss Re. They said the main driver of resulting uh, high losses are the economic growth, the accumulation of asset values in exposed areas like the coastal areas and, and like the areas near the forest, uh, regions that are susceptible to natural perils, the, the higher uh, risk environmental areas. Uh, economic inflation has surged over the last uh, few years. Uh, the effect of inflation has been to increase the value of buildings, the value of vehicles. Uh, the uh, home values have gone up uh, by well over 50%. Uh, the, the cost of rebuilding uh, construction materials and labor have gone up uh, nearly as much. Uh, so that's really been the biggest impact. Uh, there is some additional impact from the uh, climate change there's a very good study also done by a data analytics firm called Veris that's well used in the industry. And they said the top factors causing weather-related losses are a rise in exposure values and replacement costs, again, both the construction in the high hazard environmental areas and the inflation. They also said there's natural variability in the weather patterns. Uh, third, they said, was the effects of climate change on different atmospheric perils. And then fourth are the man-made loss drivers, such as legal system abuse and regulatory factors, the regulatory costs and burdens and mandates. So it's climate change is very important long term, but probably not the biggest driver in the short term. And perhaps not the biggest driver in the short term of why we've seen these major insurers sort of eschew some of the uh, most extreme uh, weather-prone states here in the United States. So it, what, what would you tell us? What role does sort of those increased uh, asset values play in some of the departures of the major insurers from markets like California and Florida that we're seeing? It sounds like more of a, a statement about inflation and how much it costs to replace assets than a statement about you know climate change finally you know sort of reaching a boiling point. Um, well, is that really, do you think, the prime mover on why we've seen these moves from the insurers? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. So if you look over the last five years, homeowners insurance has increased only 7.6% nationally. And that's only about a third as much as the 21% increase in the rate of inflation and far below the 56% increase in home values. You think about how retailers, uh, like your grocery store, they can adjust prices on a daily basis to reflect the cost of their goods. But in a state like California, it can take over a year for an insurer to gather the necessary documentation for a rate filing. Then they have to wait for approval. They can take another uh, up to 12 months. Uh, and then once you get approval from the state regulator, then you have to roll that into your policies. And those insurance policies are typically six months or 12 months. So it'll take another six to 12 months to roll that inflation rate into that. So that can take a couple of years. There's a long time lag. In the last couple of years, inflation hit a 40-year record high, and as I mentioned, some of the construction goods and labor costs increased uh, particularly. And then when you have a state that's mandating additional coverages, they're suppressing and delaying rate increases, uh, limiting the ability of insurers to exit certain high-risk areas, you're going to have a market that will rapidly deteriorate at that point. And because those uh, asset values are increasing so much, insurers have to attract new investment capital into the marketplace. 
But if you're not able to charge adequate rates and the volatility is increasing, then you start going into an insurance market death spiral. It's going to be very hard for the state to turn around. So, Robert, it sounds like what you're saying is it's not so much the perils or opportunities posed by climate change so much as the kind of constrictions placed on the insurers when it comes to pricing on an actuarial risk in any given geography. So in other words, if you could snap your fingers and be able to create kind of daily price adjustment mechanisms, or even monthly, weekly, you name it, in a given market, would that mean that you could size and price the risk that's posed by these climate change catastrophes? That's right. In fact, there's a saying in the industry, there's no bad risk, only only bad rates. Uh, in fact, if you look at the most extreme event in history globally, it was Hurricane Katrina. And Hurricane Katrina, if it happened today, would actually be a, a much smaller percentage of the industry surplus when it, than it was uh, when it occurred. So the insurance and reinsurance industry is well positioned to handle uh, even these increasing costs from the natural disasters, but they have to get an adequate rate to do it to attract the capital. And right now in a lot of states like California, insurers have had uh, severe challenges attract getting attaining the kind of rate that they need to attract new investment capital to cover these uh, higher accumulations and exposures. And as we see these higher accumulations and exposures, Robert, I guess I wonder if the industry was able to get whatever rate they feel necessary to recoup their costs and you know protect their margins, don't we reach a point very quickly where folks just can't afford these policies? I mean, if you had all the leeway in the world to, to bump up how much you can charge folks, they might not be able to pay it, right? Well, that's certainly a concern that's been raised by policymakers, but you have to put it into perspective. So home values have increased, as I mentioned, 56% over the last five years, and that's uh, many times the increase in the cost of insurance. And generally, homeowners insurance continues to be just a fraction of 1% of home values, even in the higher estates like Florida and California. If you look at the top recurring costs of home ownership, uh, in order, it's mortgage payments and utilities, maintenance, home improvements, taxes. Cost of insurance is last on the list. Consumers are very sensitive to sudden spikes in homeowners insurance, and certainly we're very uh, sensitive and empathetic about that. But over the long term, the costs have actually been very low, particularly in return for protecting what's consumer's single greatest asset, their home. You got to hope. Yeah. I, you know, I sitting here thinking to myself that the United States government is involved in the health insurance markets, both in terms of uh, for the elderly with Medicare, the indigent with Medicaid. They're involved in providing insurance on bank deposits. They provide flood insurance where the market really was loath to go. And I wonder, is it a risk or an opportunity for the industry that perhaps Uncle Sam could step in yet again to cover some of these catastrophes that the private industry at the moment is balking at? Yeah, well, that the risk is really to uh, not only to the insurance industry, but to society at large. Insurance is really a very simple product. You have insurers that collect from policyholders roughly enough every year to pay the average expected losses plus the various overhead and return on capital. Uh, that's not being allowed to happen in the marketplace. 
Many years ago, uh, APCIA published a white paper entitled, There is no Nat Cat Santa Claus. There's no magic silver bullet that's suddenly going to make an environmental risk cheaper. And where the government has taken over weather risks, such as uh, for the federal uh, flood, national flood insurance program or various state residual markets, the result in nearly every case has been heavily subsidized coverages that are paid for by other groups of consumers. You're not making it cheaper. Uh, you're just passing the bills on to somebody else who may be less able to afford it. It also doesn't make sense for the government to subsidize overbuilding in high-risk environmental areas. And that's often what happens with these state and federal weather backstops. Uh, so now we're seeing families that are moving into floodplains or they're migrating to coastal areas or the wildland urban interface. They're building increasingly expensive homes and second homes, vacation homes. Does the government really want to subsidize ignoring the attendant environmental costs and thereby creating environmental, uh, anti-environmental subsidies and moral hazards? Do we want to pay for the cost of living in those environmental areas or do we want uh, the actual risk to have to be paid for people who decide to do that? So that's a part of their uh, decision-making process and ultimately something that needs to be confronted and addressed. Uh, doesn't make sense for the government to do these programs. I guess just fundamentally, Robert, how can the PNC insurers best control the risk of climate change in their underwriting book? Is it as simple as just pulling out of states when you can't get the pricing you need, or is there a wider array of tools being put to use? Yeah, it, 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 insurers have to manage their risk. So certainly uh, pulling out of states is something insurers have to consider if they're unable to obtain the rates. Uh, it, it's the government risk that is really the most challenging part of this. The climate change risks have been, as I mentioned, significantly less pronounced on a short-term basis than economic inflation and the various demographic shifts uh, causing greater accumulation of exposures in the high-risk area. And insurers are experts at managing the weather risk. It's something they've been doing as their core business function for hundreds of years. You can successfully manage that climate risk by charging accurate premiums if the states allow that to happen. It's it's really the government risks that are the more challenging ones to deal with and that really end up creating the dislocations in the market. Well, Robert, to that point, I mean, the United States is not the only geography beset by uh, you know climate risk and, and catastrophes. I'm wondering if you guys have seen anything in other geographies, in other nations, that you find appealing as a regulatory structure that can work for the industry? Yeah, great question. So uh, these trends are from climate change and the uh, increase in accumulation uh, exposures are really nationwide trends. Uh, different countries have developed different approaches, uh, not only trying to fight climate change, but doing things like land use management. We're seeing programs in Australia and elsewhere uh, for much better programs to clear away the underbrush that creates fires, for example, or to enact building codes. And even within the U.S., there's significant difference among the states. Some have stronger building codes than others. And you'll sometimes see pictures after a hurricane has gone through an area that'll have one house that's still standing relatively intact because that house was built using the updated building codes. And some of those uh, improvements, whether it's land use management or stronger building codes or fire safety, uh, can really be very affordable, give you a lot of bang for the buck. People don't always want to do them because there's no uh, immediate tangible product that you see and look at and say, wow, that's a it's a great new dam or a great new building. 
but certainly there are a lot of programs developed uh, among the different states and uh, in various foreign countries uh, that could save society uh, enormous sums of money by more re resiliency and mitigation. Yeah, we've drawn the distinction, uh, Robert, in a conversation between long and, and shorter term risks and where climate change fits on that spectrum. I wonder in which U.S. geographies does the industry expect uh, the greatest claims volatility in the next few years in the near term? Well, uh, certainly Florida has been one of the top states uh, where there's been challenges in the market, but the Florida policymakers have, have really uh, worked to adopt some great reforms to address problems with uh, legal system abuse and uh, in, in all of the tort issues uh, to turn their market around. And we're already seeing some new insurers coming into the Florida marketplace. California, as I mentioned, they're uh, continuing to head towards a death spiral. There's, there is a lot of discussion of reform at the end of this uh, session in California, uh, but it's unclear whether uh, that's going to get adopted or not. Uh, the Louisiana markets uh, for insurance are, are deteriorating, and there's going to be a major reform effort in Louisiana over this next year. And then Georgia and South Carolina are states that are also feeling greater pressure, uh, as well as any of the states that have uh, increased drought and wildfire risk like uh, Colorado and Oregon. So uh, really a lot of states across the country are, are suffering challenges that uh, we'll be working on with policymakers to address. Robert, last one for me. Your comments point to the inherent inefficiency from an industry perspective of having a patchwork of 50 different regulatory bodies to answer to. Uh, with varying degrees of success in building a regulatory structure that you can actually operate in profitably. And I wonder, when you talk about lobbying federal lawmakers, when you talk about you know presidents, Congress, uh, would there not be an argument to federalize the regulation of PNC so you have a standard playing field, one set of rules that you, know, you can operate in uniformly across a nation? Or is that not uh, in the cards? Really, for the property and casualty insurance industry, a lot of the risks are local. Uh, so when you think about whether uh, California is particularly susceptible to earthquake risk and wildfire risk, Florida's uh, very susceptible to hurricanes. Some of the Midwestern states have tornadoes. Uh, also, a lot of the tort laws uh, are very different from state to state. So it, it actually helps. Uh, to have each of those different regions uh, addressing the local problems in those markets. Uh, it's also a great way to create a, a laboratory for reform so that, uh, for example, Florida's had some great success in, in adopting new building codes that other states adopt. Uh, California has led the way on some of the new fire safety standards that other states are looking at. So it actually helps to have that different marketplace. And then I mentioned earlier some of the problems, uh, particularly in California, uh, with the delay in approving rates and some of the rate suppression. Uh, when you have 50 different states, uh, some that are functioning well, some that are functioning poorly, uh, it not only creates an opportunity for insurers and investors to shift capital to those states that are doing well, uh, but it also creates a bit of a, a healthy competition in the marketplace where states can look uh, at the other regions in the United States and say, okay, which, which states are doing the best with their marketplace, which are the most competitive, what are the reforms that those states have adopted and, and are there best practices among the states that we should follow? So the, the 50 state system uh, has actually worked very well for property casualty insurance. Yes, there are some inefficiencies and 
having that patchwork, uh, but it also creates a, a much more uh, competitive marketplace. Robert, can, can the PNC insurers be more of a partner than they are right now, do you think, in terms of helping to manage climate change risks, maybe, you know, pushing adaptation measures, requiring siting of infrastructure away from forests that might, you know, cause wildfires, or maybe digging trenches to control the spread of wildfire, sort of insisting in those kinds of physical uh, building requirements? Is there more that can be done there? Absolutely. And APCIA has been actively supporting dozens of state and federal environmental mitigation and resiliency programs. We've gotten uh, successfully obtained appropriations for a number of those programs at the state and federal level, uh, including stronger building codes, fire safety, land use management, disaster preparedness, asking policymakers and families to invest in future disaster resiliency. It's always a challenge. As I mentioned, it doesn't produce any immediately tangible results, uh, but it's one of the best investments we can make in the future. That's very good. And finally here, Robert, how do insurers look at climate change in terms of risk versus opportunity? I think when we think about the climate change risk, of course, it's very apparent that a massive storm can be a huge headache for you folks. But at the same time, I'd imagine as the effects of climate change make extreme weather more common and maybe push it further, further inland from the coast and sort of the, the, you know, the radius of potential damage gets wider and wider, that those are that many more people that are suddenly in the market for climate-related policies. So it also sounds like a potential boom, a uh, boon rather, I should say, uh, to your addressable market. How would you have us think about the gives and takes, the puts and takes there? Well, insurers have more than enough new coverage opportunities generated by the company's economic growth and the yeah. demographic shifts towards people working and living in more expensive buildings and environmentally high-risk areas. So uh, that's plenty of opportunities for the industry to write new business. Insurers would strongly prefer to eliminate or at least minimize the additional costs and volatility from climate change. Uh, we want to make sure our products are not only available to consumers, but as affordable as possible. Well, Robert Gordon, Senior Vice President for Policy Research and International at the American Property Casualty Insurance Association, the APCIA. We thank you for joining us on Double Take. It was terrific. Great to be with you. This is a financial promotion for institutional clients only, issued by Newton Investment Management North America LLC, NIMNA, or the firm. NIMNA is a registered investment advisor with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, and subsidiary of the Bank of New York Mellon Corporation, BNY Mellon. The firm was established in 2021, comprised of equity and multi-asset teams from an affiliate, Mellon Investments Corporation. The firm is part of the group of affiliated companies that individually or collectively provide investment advisory services under the brand Newton or Invest Newton Investment Management. Newton currently includes NIMNA and Newton Investment Management Limited, NIM, and Newton Investment Management Japan Limited, NIMJ. Any statements of opinion constitute only current opinions of NIMNA, which are subject to change and which NIMNA does not undertake to update. This publication or any portion thereof may not be copied or distributed without prior written approval from the firm. Statements are correct as of the date of material only. This document may not be used for the purpose of an offer or solicitation in any jurisdiction or in any circumstances in which such offer or solicitation is unlawful or not authorized. The information in this publication is for general information only and is not intended to provide specific investment advice or recommendations for any purchase or sale of any specific security. 
Some information contained herein has been obtained from third-party sources that are believed to be reliable, but the information has not been independently verified by NIMNA. NIMNA makes no representations as to the accuracy or the completeness of such information. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee returns or eliminate risk in any market environment, and past performance is no indication of future performance. ESG analysis refers to a range of internal and external qualitative and quantitative research. Newton manages a variety of strategies. Whether and how ESG considerations are assessed or integrated into Newton's strategies depends on the asset classes and or the particular strategy involved, as well as the research and investment approach of each Newton firm. ESG may not be considered for each individual investment, and where ESG is considered, other attributes of an investment may outweigh ESG considerations when making investment decisions. Analysis of themes may vary depending on the type of security, investment rationale, and investment strategy. Newton will make investment decisions that are not based on themes and may conclude that other attributes of an investment outweigh the thematic structure the security has been assigned to. If distributed in the UK, EMEA, Australia, New Zealand, this podcast is issued by Newton Limited and may be deemed a financial promotion. Newton Limited is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, FCA, 12 Endeavour Square, London, E20, 1JN, in the conduct of investment business. Registered in England, number 01371973. NIM is also registered as, a, as investment advisors with the Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, to offer investment advisory services in the United States. If distributed in Canada, this podcast is issued by either Newton Limited, which is availing itself of the International Advisor Exemption, IAE, in the following Canadian provinces, Alberta, British Columbia, Ontario, and Quebec. The IAE is in compliance with National Instrument 31-103, Registration Requirements, Exemptions, and Ongoing Registrant Obligations, or NIMNA, which is availing itself of the IAE in the following Canadian provinces, Alberta, British Columbia, and Manitoba. The IAE is in compliance with the National Instrument 31-103 registration requirements, exemptions, and ongoing registrant obligations.